0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast.
1: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by listeners like you, supporters on Patreon. Join today at patreon.com slash mission log.
0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 432, When It Rains.
2: Welcome to another episode of Mission
1: Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. Each week on Mission Log, we face the challenge head-on of examining each and every episode of Star Trek to uncover the morals, meanings, and messages therein. This week, when it rains... Well,
2: it, it just sort of... It just sort of trails off there with an ellipses. I'm, I'm not sure. Was there supposed to be something else after that? When it rains? Well, uh, you just had a car wash. Or yeah.
1: your left knee starts acting up again.
2: Oh, cool. that, yeah, that's good. Or, or maybe it was uh, when it rains, all the idiots get on the highway. I, I don't know. Th- those are all good suggestions, but I, I guess we'll never know what the writers intended. Uh, I guess I'll think about it while you tell people how to reach us with their own
1: suggestions. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek, and that's why we want to hear from you. Use Mission Log Pod to give us a like and a share on Facebook and Twitter. Then follow and rate us at Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can call us on Skype at Mission Log Pod or by dialing 323-522-5641. Send us an email at missionlogatroddenberry.com. And remember, we may use your comments on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. I remember, John, when it rains. Yeah. It rains trivia with John Champion this
2: Ooh. week. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, trivia for today's episode, when it rains, we have a story by Renee Echevria and Spike Steingasser. Now, Spike is an actor and stuntman who also has a couple of writing credits to his name. Notably, the first and only other one is from the TNG episode Homeward. Now, really, the bulk of the credit goes to Rene, who solely carries the teleplay credit. We talked about how the workload of these final stories was divided up. Appropriately, Rene handled the second episode in the cycle, Till Death Do Us Part, and he's back now to further develop the story and also make room by splitting up the Kaiwin Ducat act a bit and by dropping in some revelations about one of our main characters. The episode was directed by Michael Dorn. This is the third and final directing credit he gets on DS9, and he has just one more for the franchise when we get around to Enterprise. Let's meet our guest stars. Most of the recurring characters you expect are here, with the exception of a few. While we're not bringing in too many more this close to the finish line, there are two who are worth noting. At the top of the episode, we see a new Romulan representative, not named here, though, played by Stephen Yokum. His on-screen resume is short, but like a lot of DS9's cast, he has a background in live theater. This is his first time on Star Trek, and he'll be back for one more DS9 appearance. We also meet a Cardassian who has a bone to pick with Kira. This is Seskal, again, not named here, and he is played by Vaughn Armstrong. Now, you know that name. We've seen him on TNG, and we've seen him once before on DS9 when he played a different Cardassian, Gul dinar in past prologue. In between, he was appearing in the Star Trek The Experience Klingon Encounter attraction film and making guest appearances on Voyager. We'll see plenty more of Vaughn since he, to this day, holds the record of playing 13 different Star Trek characters across four different series.
0: Like any good story, this week's episode starts with a cup of soup.
2: Well, here's an interesting thing. The Federation and the Romulans and everybody else who got summarily defeated at Chintaka had the same problem. A Breen energy-dampening device that crippled their ships. All but one, that is. The Klingon Katang. They happened to be adjusting the tritium intermix in the warp core when all of this went down, and they survived. It's a trick O'Brien shares with Sisko, Ross, and a Romulan representative. Martok says he'll have 1,500 ships ready to go annoy the Dominion. It's not enough to do real damage, but it should keep them on their toes. Then there's the matter of the Cardassian Rebellion. Damar can make some headway if they have success, but it's going to take someone with experience in rebellion to help. Cue Colonel Kira. And she's not exactly thrilled with Sisko's suggestion, but she recognizes the importance of a Cardassian victory. Garrick should have some helpful intel, which means he's now part of her team, too. Act 1. Also part of the Rebellion training team will be Odo, but before he leaves the station, Dr. Bashir wants a sample of him. Just some, you know, goo. The doctor wants to study the morphogenic matrix to see if it can assist with creating replacement organs for the wounded. It's just temporary, just for study. Promise. Meanwhile, on Bajor, Kai Wen is doing a pretty good impression of someone who has no idea where Solbar has disappeared to when she's asked by an official. Decott overhears, and he's impressed. He can't wait for the return of the pa race. But Kai Wen is taking this all very seriously. She may be intent on releasing the PA race and bringing down the cleansing of Bejor, but she has had just about enough of Descartes' manipulations. And back on DS9. Garrett got the news about assisting Kira with the Cardassian rebels. He knows, just like everyone else, that it'll be hard for Cardassians to take any advice or direction from a Bajoran. But Sisko has one suggestion to keep the mission alive, giving Kira a Starfleet commission as commander, allowing her to wear the uniform and speak for the Federation. It might be more persuasive to Damar's men. Odo needs to change it up, too. He's not Starfleet, but he does change his look to the one he had when he worked for the Cardassians on Tarak Noor. Act 2. At an undisclosed location, Damar and Russat mull over their circumstance. Their troops have taken a beating. They're short on supplies, even replicators to help feed them. Russat comes right out and says he can't imagine taking orders from that terrorist, Kira, someone who Damar himself hated. Damar admits that he did but he says that's a luxury they can no longer afford. Just arriving at DS9 is our old friend Gowron, Chancellor of the Klingon Empire. He's there to honor Martok, and, surprise for Worf, the Chancellor welcomes him too with open arms. That's what happens when you get welcomed into the House of Martok. Blood wine all around. In the infirmary, Bashir discusses Ezri a bit with Chief O'Brien. He feels like she's been avoiding him, and since he can't get an answer out of her, he made up some excuse for her to come see him. O'Brien calls out the uh, unethical behavior, but before we can have a debate on it, Luku walks in. The chief takes a hint and leaves, and the doctor just comes right out with it. As Esri starts to explain about her time with Worf and how that brought up some complicated feelings, Bashir jumps to the conclusion that those two are back together. Esri starts to explain, but something far more important about Odo's sample in the beaker catches the Doctor's eye. He immediately calls Odo, who's in a runabout, racing along with Kira and Garak to help Tamar. The news is bad. Bashir reveals that Odo is infected with the virus that's killing the changelings. Act 3. Odo is symptom-free. For now. And even with the bad news, he has a job to do right now. So does Dr. Bashir, who will work to compare this new sample with a previous one from Starfleet and see if there's anything he can do. Back on Bajor, Dekata sneaking around late at night, opening up the Paw Wraith book when Kai Wen is asleep. He's only a couple of pages in when a red energy mist leaps from the pages into his eyes. The scream wakes up Kai Wen, who finds Jakat blind. On DS9, the Klingons are celebrating Martok, and you just know that involves... uh, Yeah, here we go again with the knives, slicing into hands to drip blood into a bowl. To mitigate the sting, there's copious amounts of blood wine to be shared... It's then that Gowron drops some news on Martok. He has done such a good job in command of their forces that he's being relieved of all the admin duty and going right back out to fight while Gowron takes a more active role, i.e. stepping right into Martok's role. Uh, uh, Thanks. Then there's Dr. Bashir, who is now facing his own administrative problems. He's facing bureaucratic pushback of an epic scale from Starfleet when he simply tries to get their medical records for Odo from a few years back. They're classified, especially now that they know he had linked with the female changeling about a year ago. That data is Sigma-9 clearance only, and the doctor doesn't have it. Seems that his pleas to get information that could possibly cure Odo are falling on deaf ears. At Chief O'Brien's suggestion, Bashir goes to Captain Sisko to see if he has the right clearance to get Odo's files. Speaking of Odo, he and Kira and Garrick have arrived at Damar's secret location, in the caves of a desolate planet. It's the makeshift headquarters of the Cardassian Liberation Front, and they need those Federation supplies. There's also some tension at this first meeting, with Garrick reminding Damar and Russad especially— that the Dominion is their enemy, to which Roussat snidely replies, he doesn't need to be reminded who his enemy is. Act 4. Now the training begins, and right away the Cardassians push back against Kira's suggestion that they split up their forces into autonomous groups to make them less of a target, and to not hesitate to attack vulnerable Dominion targets, even if they're guarded by Cardassians. Immediately, there's pushback, but Damar listens to the logic and commands his men to take Kira's advice that anyone not fighting with them is fighting against them. Back on DS9, Bashir was successful in getting Sisko to use his clearance to get Starfleet Medical's records on Odo. While he processes some of the results, he and O'Brien talk about Esri. O'Brien says Worf told him they were just friends. And if Bashir thinks it was something else, he might be mistaken. As they talk, something about the medical records catches the doctor's eye. It's a dispersal pattern that he saw seven years ago. Records from Dr. Mora. It appears that Starfleet has sent him a forged set of data in order to throw him off the trail of actually helping Odo. It says if they want Odo and the rest of the changelings along with him to die. Medical wouldn't do that, but Section 31 would. Elsewhere in the station, Martok confides in Worf his frustration that Gowron has pushed him aside. That's tactically dangerous, too, since Gowron lacks experience in battle. But what's important is that he and Worf do their duty, because many of their comrades have already died in the battle with the Dominion, and they don't want to see more lost. Somewhere, Far away. Kira is having a replicated meal and talking to Odo while a couple of nearby Cardassians sense an opportunity to bully them. The first one approaches and asks Odo what he thought would happen to Bajoran prisoners on Taraknor. Kira deflects until she can't. Rusad approaches and spells it out that Odo was a collaborator. Before she really does lose her composure on one of the Cardassians, Kira stalks off to her room, where she gives a good beating to some supply containers. With steam sufficiently vented, she tells Odo that she's going to go cool off, and he stays behind to pick up some of the pieces. In doing so, he looks down at his hand and notices peeling, flaking skin, a sign of the virus that has infected the other changelings. Act 5. Checking in with a blinded Ducat on Bejor, Kai Nguyen enters to let him know that the doctor who examined him can find nothing physically wrong with him. The Pa Wraiths took his sight for his arrogance, for daring to read the book and circumventing Wen's privilege. So she kicks him out. For real. Kai Wen has a guard escort Ducat off the premises to see if living in the streets begging for money will teach him some humility while she gets back to her book. Gowron, now comfortably settled back into his position as commander of the Klingon forces, summons Martok and Worf to talk over strategy. He sees all the places where the Dominion are assembling their forces, and he thinks this is the time to go on the offensive. Martok objects that they're outnumbered 20 to 1, and their best bet is to play defense until the Federation and Romulans can send ships. Gowron won't hear it. It's not a debate. The time to attack is now, and it will be a Klingon victory. In the infirmary, Bashir and O'Brien surmise that they can't take their suspicion about Section 31 to Captain Sisko since it would get reported back to Starfleet and further jeopardize their investigation. Even Quark drops in with some coffee, but he's told not to breathe a word of what's going on. What is going on, is Bashir's discovery that the virus infected Odo nearly three years ago, which leads him to conclude it was exactly when Odo visited Starfleet. He was infected there, by Section 31. If they created it, they must have a cure. And Bashir and O'Brien need to find it before Section 31 figures out what they're doing.
1: The end. So, John, I just realized when it rains uh-huh. dot 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 yeah who do you think it poured on more in this episode <laughs> or we'll just have to wait and and keep the audience in suspended in anticipation for that
2: we, we, we will we will because it seems like that this was a cool episode not not to jump ahead to the end but it's one of those cool episodes where like everybody has a turn a change a challenge and something to face you know mm-hmm. so we'll uh yeah we'll we'll get to that i think the one who gets off easiest here is cisco <laughs> you know honestly oh yeah it's like yeah it shows <laughs> in the beginning
1: like here you go do this very difficult thing see ya yeah so yeah Well, there there are obviously there are people that are in place that are doing the actual raining on people.
2: Yes, and then there are the people
1: that are getting poured upon by those people. Cisco was one of those people that's raining on Kira's parade. Definitely. Oh, right, right from the top. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey,
2: and and right from the top, did you get a good look at that map in the opening? Because I I definitely freeze framed it. I wanted to see everything in there. Uh, Ferenginar is very far away. Uh, interesting to see that on the map cardassian bejor just you know right there across from the badlands um although there's nothing helpful on the map that says you are here <laughs> you know or or like keep clear of wormhole but you know we know it's right next to bejor uh but right there very prominently is ar558 so i'm glad to see slow clap everybody glad to see that you're still holding
1: on to it oh they worked hard for that one they did you know they did yeah. uh I really do wish that the Romulan, the unnamed Romulan in the room was referenced to being Senator Kretak's replacement for this particular reason. I wanted Ross to squirm a little bit mm. because he was the reason why Kretak's not in that room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That would have been nice to mention. Yeah. Admiral yeah. Ross, this is Senator Kretak's replacement, you know, unnamed Romulan yeah. guy. And he would be like, nice to meet you. Uh, Yeah. 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 Uh, Yeah. Please please give Cree Tech my best. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: I I do love that moment of Odo being a little reluctant to leave a sample behind. I I mean, it would be like one of us, say, leaving a finger or something. Only that finger also has all of the other properties of the rest of your body. Yeah. So
1: a little weird. I get it. First of all, like the five-year-old in me, like, you know, when Dr. Bischoff said, had a, can I can't have a cup of goo. Hardy har-har. Good laugh. <laughs> but if yeah. they really wanted to do something with it, it would have been funny if somebody walked up to Odo after that and said, did you lose weight? Or are you a little shorter? Uh, that's, right? that's good. Something like that. Yeah. I think yeah. It would be fine. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I love design work. I love design work in shows. Mm. There's uh, an obvious logic to certain design work, and it seems to me that the bigger and more gold and more ornate your belt buckle in the Klingon Empire, Mm. the higher your position because nobody, like when Gowron came off and said, you know, hello, Wolf, hello, Martok, you know, that (laughs) his belt buckle was enormous and completely trimmed out with gold. Of course, that's what the Chancellor would wear. Of course, and by the way, I love
2: that that belt buckle design has stayed and has it's gotten these little changes, like the the big you know border on it and the change in color. But that is a design from way back, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the very first of those, they are literally pieces of bubble wrap cut out and spray painted. Right. And I love that, of course, later on they were cast and, and they were made to to look like that. But you're taking that original design cue just literally
1: from a little uh, uh, trapezoidally cut piece of bubble wrap. And I tell okay. you what, they look amazing when people that wear kilts like myself have mm. that. I mm-hmm. don't have one of those. If anyone out there in the audience can tell me where to find one, I would totally yeah. appreciate it because they are amazing looking. I can nice. go without the one with the... I'm not a chancellor, so no gold-thick design. Yeah, yeah, you, you don't need to show off. I don't need that. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah, yeah.
2: Man, I, it, such mixed feelings about Gowron. Sometimes I'm just infuriated by him, like like a few times in this episode. But sometimes, dude just shows up and says, I got a barrel of the finest blood wine that must be drunk tonight. <laughs> Gowron, sometimes
1: I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the 2309, of course. Yeah, yeah, of I, course. I like hearing course, that trailed yeah. off in the dialogue. So... Yeah. He completely, like, snubbed Ross and Cisco in that scene. Yeah. So yeah. it's not the same scene, right? So they get drunk that night, and then the ceremony is another night where they cut their palms and then get drunk again? Yeah. I, maybe. Maybe there's right. just a, a lot of that going on. Right, <laughs> like so this is night. the night that we're not cutting palms. Tomorrow, palm-cutting night and drinking. And double be, feature. Yeah.
2: yeah. So get, get started early on that
1: blood <laughs> wine. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I do
2: love Matt that smirk on bashir's face uh well i don't love I should say when he tells O'Brien that he asked Ezri to come see him under the pretence of discussing her medical results when he's really just wanting to spend time with her yikes, just when you thought you were being less creepy bashir that was um that was not cool
1: yeah, you were saying that ironically liking yeah right yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I do not like no. um I can completely, you know, what, let's use a medical terminology here. Just scalpel this entire scene, entire scene. Just scalpel, yeah, it, right. Yeah, because it's yeah, just yeah, yeah. get get to the point where, you know, he's doing the investigation because all of this Esri Julian stuff, Esri post war stuff, it's just mm-hmm. done. It's yeah. done, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah stick yeah. and fork on it. Even though I'm going to do something completely lecherous, just like Bashir and say, <laughs> I I pretty much oogled every square inch of my TV. When I saw Kira in a Starfleet uniform, I thought Nana looked gorgeous in it. She looked, I, the whole character just looked amazing in a Starfleet uniform
2: yes, so, so glad to see that. I mean, I, I know that she up until now she is not a a Starfleet officer, but just how cool what a what a great just like breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. and she looks great in it. She yeah. wears it well, yeah, um, man, I, I tell you about those Pa race they, they just love to wait until the moment that suits them. And then leap into a physical body I mean, through the nose, through the eyes. Basically, look, no orifice is safe. So be on guard, people, around Pa race, because they are unpredictable. Um, O'Brien, <laughs> O'Brien, he, I, I love that line. Guys like Hilliard are used to sitting behind their desks, not under them. A that was blue collar line.
1: Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: That that was very good. Very good. Um, and look, I just, not to beat a dead horse with this, but uh, back at it with O'Brien and Bashir talking about Ezri. Okay. In the first scene, Where Bashir says, "Yeah, I just I basically told her to come in and talk about medical results," and that is a lie. Okay, that is creepy and terrible, and O'Brien should have ended it right there. Okay, at least the second conversation less creepy. There are a couple of guys talking about well the personal life of one of them. That's fine. That's acceptable. That is all right. However. I am going to crank up that creep factor a little bit because they all work together in Starfleet. And it is a little weird to hear a couple of guys in Starfleet talking about their comrades who are also in Starfleet who also had a relationship. There's just got to be a better way.
1: Yeah. And they were doing something important at the time. So let's just sidetrack this really important thing that can get us completely busted by black bag operations for this yeah Yeah, yeah 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 speaking of that very important
2: thing here's here's a dumb question okay um even if what starfleet sent to dr bashir was seven years old and came from dr mora uh a wouldn't that data still be valuable and b wouldn't bashir have already had that at the station so you know he's he needs to get data from starfleet but there are presumably already been multiple tests on Odo given at Deep Space Nine where Dr. Bashir already has those records. I know he's trying to create a timeline here in it all. But, um, yeah, it, it just seems like I, I know we have to build it for the story. Right. But he would have already had a lot of that. But stuff. to
1: be fair, though, when you build in something like, you know, um, O'Brien saying that it must be nice to have a genetically engineered memory. he should know like by just shutting his eyes where everything was as soon as he like came on the station he would have an eidetic memory
2: yeah 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 yeah. true so true and a computer that he can just ask
1: i guess when you're trying to figure (laughs) out like how to like outmaneuver esri's affections for you you forget a couple things Mm, there you go there
2: you go Uh, Uh, speaking of affections kai wen wow Kicking Ducat out was one of the coldest things I have ever Straight seen her do. Up savage,
1: <laughs> it savage!
2: Was. Oh it my was. God! Look, look! Totally understandable.
1: Yeah, but wow! Yeah, wow! That was cold. Like as soon as yeah. that security guard pulled him out, I want to like oh. someone like drop in like the GIF of like savage, you know, like the yeah. kids you know, <laughs> yes, in the playground. Yes,
2: right. Yeah.
1: Maybe yeah. if you get your sight back, then we'll restore like, you back. But a little bit. And like, you just oh, get to like,
2: say, yeah. well, it, it, it's not me, it's the gods. Yeah. Look, they're the ones who punished you. You gotta go, uh, you gotta go get forgiveness. You gotta Make go peace get with right. them. I'm good with you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. You know?
0: Oh. <laughs> so savage.
1: Ah. Uh, speaking of savage, I love how Garrett just rolls up on Rasat and said, she would have killed you. She would've, Kira would have straight up killed you. And he's like, yeah, I would have liked to have seen her try. He's like, I have seen her do many yes. things. Right. But it's just Andrew Robbins' cock-eyed kind of like head tilt he's like mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> you know Ooh. he's like i yeah. just warned you what do i know i've just seen her like completely take out like waves of people and without you know breaking a sweat right. oh yeah yeah right. absolutely hey i, I do I, I kind of
2: question whether bashir and o'brien could take their section 31 suspicion to cisco like i do think that the more brains working on this the better they're both against it, uh, but but come on, really? Because Cisco, first of all, he is your commander, and he has your back, and he is not a fan of Section 31. So, I, and, and look, I get it, Ross is hanging out all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe, maybe if he even slipped in a line like that, although Bashir probably wouldn't want to come right out and say it, but just like, you know, look, there are people around who I don't want to get wind of this. But but I, I really do feel like I actually Cisco would have been one of the logical people to take this to. But, you know, that's all right.
1: You never know what people that, uh, with Sigma-9 clearance are capable of doing. That Sigma-9, man. Right? Yeah. When are we going to get a Sigma-9 badge? I would like <laughs> a Sigma-9.5 <laughs> myself. <laughs> of course. So Worf and Martok looking at each other when Gowron says he wants to take the entire fleet and attack at a 20-to-1 uh, odds loss. Yeah. Uh, have you been everyone's been in this meeting where somebody comes in at the last minute, project lead, take over, seagull management, and everyone just kind of looks at each other because you can't say anything. You're like, so this is happening, right? This is happening. <laughs> yes, Because yes. Galron and any of those people that do that want all the glory, but they're going to lead people to their doom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, that that is such a... Uh, <laughs> It's so yeah real for, time. for what for what you described it, it it's real for that situation it's also real for like management
1: <laughs> you know yeah and, and you know I'm I love seeing Robert O'Reilly back as Galrod I really mm-hmm. do but this is gonna just go badly it's just yeah. gonna go so badly uh, yeah. but you know what let's end in a positive note or two I love seeing Quark bring coffee into Bashir and O'Brien because he's just like. Uh, anyone hear about Odo? Is he okay? How's my little buddy? So cute, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. cute.
2: That, that's something they've built well in this show, though, is to have have an adversarial relationship where the affection is the subtext,
1: and they've played it perfectly. Yeah, Yep. yeah. Um, last thing, though, again, another positive note. Uh, I do love seeing Kira in a Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Star- Wait did I did yep. I talk about this? I might have to wind the tape back.
0: Good news. Gowron's here to announce the new employee of the month. The bad news. Gowron's here to announce the new employee of the month.
2: Hey, we'll get right back to when it rains. But first, a quick word from our sponsor this week, and that is... You, all of you who have joined us over at Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. There is so much happening. People are joining. They're joining us there for the uh, preview shows and for our Discord. Norman,
1: what what do people find when they join us on Patreon? You know, I think they'll probably find maybe even a little bit more than they've bargained for because there are so many threats <laughs> right. and so many different like mini communities that are going on with Patreon right now. Yeah. Uh, we have chat rooms for every single series of every single Star Trek series movie, mm-hmm. uh, books, you know, yeah. fan films, things even like gaming. That. We also yeah. have gaming, right? Um, obviously, we have the uh, the. Honorary John Champion food channel, Mm. uh, Epicureanism. Yes, have to have that. Uh, Yeah. Which gets a heavy workout (laughs) pretty much every day. (laughs) Uh, And we also have uh, channels for all of our new Mission Log shows. So we have Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Mission Log Engage, Mission Log The Orville, Mission Log Prodigy. Uh, Yeah. It's pretty much like a one-stop shopping for your family. Well,
2: and what I love is that people who joined us there who really are friends of ours, friends of the show, friends of each other, we're getting to know about everybody's other interests and its other sci-fi media, food and drink, as you said. It's just a, a lively, robust conversation going on there that is before and after all of these shows. So it's like, come for the Star Trek stay for the community and I want to mm-hmm. thank some of the most recent people who have joined us at Patreon Mary Virginia Rainhall uh De man I love that <laughs> Christopher Nixle Brooke thank you all welcome I, I hope they're going to stick around and be a part of that ongoing conversation as well so if you would like to you get swag exclusive to our Patreon subscribers you get previews of all of the shows before they go out but most importantly you get all that exclusive content and conversation that happens on our Discord, so join us at Patreon.com/slash/MissionLog, and thank you all. We will see you there. All right, Norman. When it rains, it uh, sometimes creates a hole in my ceiling. But that, that, that's just, that's just <laughs> personal. That's just me. When it rains, John, it gets wet. It does. It does. And, and it actually makes L.A. look nice uh, for a couple of days after it. So, you know, I, I like true. it when it, it, gets it nice rains. little glittery, yeah. like Runyon yeah. yeah. Know, back in Times Square. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. But there's a lot to talk about in this episode. And, and I, I want to start out with something that is it, it's kind of fun and funny to me, but it's also serious. And this is just, look, I know that some people don't like it when we do a line read on the show. I won't do a Mark Alimo line read, but it's the casualness with which he says this line. It has had to write it down. He's addressing Kai he says, well, when we do release the Pa race from the fire cave, your hands will be stained too. And he, he's so like he is describing this crazy mythological D&D sounding thing like, well, you know, this is just what happens. It's just you, you release the race from the fire cave from the magic book and the, yeah, the, the, the energy mist goes up your nose or in your eyeballs. And that's just how it works. First of all, I, I love the sincerity of just spouting off someone else's mythology. It it just rolls off to God's tongue. It's like it's like when you meet someone from a cult. Pick a cult, any cult. And I'm thinking about that scene in A Mighty Wind. You know, oh my God. yeah, you know the scene, right? I do. Right, right. Where, where they said, <laughs> well, "Well, humankind is simply materialized color operating on the 49th vibration." You would just make that conclusion walking down the street. <laughs> like it's so real and it's so right. sincere. And look, all right. I wanted to open making light of it, but I love how the power of belief has been used to profoundly manipulate Kai Wen, just as she has done to others for presumably her entire adult life.
1: You know, mm-hmm. it, it, and this is on both sides of the equation, not just the Pa
2: race, but the prophets as exactly, well. Exactly. Exactly. It just flips that equation. And, and it's so perfect because somebody who has done that and who has believed and manipulated that belief to others. Is having it done to herself, you know, and then as we see later in the episode, gets to turn it around again. And she says, you know, again, I I, because I brought up a similar point uh, a little while ago. The paw race will spare those they find worthy. The rest are of no consequence that that is the terrifying reality of that, that terrifying Mm -hmm. mindset that is all too easy to hear from others. They're okay. Because they picked the right God, they had the right belief, they said the right prayer, and the others aren't even a concern. And, mm-hmm. and this, Kai Wen is scary. I've said it before, I'll say it again, because she is so real. It is that dedication to that belief that allows you to see others, the non-believers, the unsaved trash, as purely other, and therefore not consequential and not worthy. It just sends a well, chill up my spine
1: religious zealotry is something that should be feared like any type of cult mentality or behavior because yep. the the understanding of of faith the, the practicing of that faith's tenets and how it can help humanity help morality you know help your fellow man your neighbor that's all thrown out the window because this is all about justifying who is just and unjust. Yeah. In a very broad sweeping, you know, brush stroke. Also, just to bring it back to d d So <laughs> because it's so funny that you mentioned that I have to put this this image out yeah. there. So Ducat goes to the book. Gets the key. Mm-hmm. Opens the book. Yeah. Can't read it. Rolls for <laughs> You know, intelligence. Right, right. And rolls an epic one. Oh, my God. He did. <laughs> Dekat right. rolled a one. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Now, I, I want to know, like, why, you know, why this particular dynamic has been put into place. Because we are in this very serialized, you know, uh, downhill momentum for the last four episodes left. Yep. What will this serve? What purpose does this serve? Aside from him getting his comeuppance, because obviously the rain poured on his eyes.
2: Well, well, okay. this metaphor, if if you want the production answer to that, it it literally is that, you know, remember, Rene wrote uh, till death do us part. And that that immediately, you know, you go into strange bedfellows and you have this Mm -hmm. very rapid development of what's happening with Kai Wen and Dukat. And he realized he was like, "Oh, I have to put the brakes on this because we have developed that story so fast and gotten mm. all those plot points. I, I need to literally break them up so we can focus on the other stuff, then come back to them." So that that's right. the production answer to your question. Now, for the the character answer, we'll we'll see. It'll all play out. You know, he needs to roll a D twenty like a hard he twenty. Does. In the next episode. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about our favorite character right now. I know it's your favorite character. Uh,
1: Oh, at least for right now. Yeah, Damar.
2: Damar. Because there's just some cool stuff going on here. And um, I loved him taking Rissat down a notch and and saying Mm -hmm. before Kira even gets there, I did hate her. And that's a luxury that I can no longer afford. And neither can you. Um, There's something good and a bit concerning about this. Because we're kind of back to what I raised before, which is we're we're back to this enemy of my enemy is my friend. We're also back to strange bedfellows. You know, here's the least likely person to come in and try to win the confidence of these Cardassians, who whose mission may be noble. In, in some ways. And again, it, it, you could parse and pick apart what individual motivations are, but this is a tough road for Kira. And this is what I hope to see happen. I, I hope that the experience leads Demar to better perspectives and to the opportunity to right the wrongs. I don't mm-hmm. know how much of this is for personal gain right now. Again, Damar's ego got crushed by Yun's seven,
1: eight, nine, <laughs> you know, right, multiple
2: right. wayoons all, all in a row. Okay, so there is something a bit of just writing himself in all of this. But I liked that little exchange with Russat and I liked the little moments where Damar, very clear-eyed, is listening to what Kira is saying and saying, no, this is the better strategy. This is the better way to go.
1: Yeah, I don't think that... <laughs> At least in this episode, uh, from what we've seen of Damar, and Damar swallowing so much pride Mm -hmm. to be able to work with Kira at that very moment, I don't think that he's playing at something else. Because if he were, then we would see a lot of that ego still bubble to the surface, like, say, Dukat would have Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. when he was working with Major Kira. There's always this Cardassian one-upsmanship that the Cardassians always have. And this is the way that we are it probably would have been with Kira. And Demar's. like, this is business now. This is all business all the time. And I like this kind of dichotomy that they built between, say, Cisco and Kira and Demar and Rasat. And I, I found something very interesting in the subtext here, John, hmm. more Latin hmm. in this episode that I didn't think that I would discover before. Okay. So in this case, I found this phrase applicable, inter arma enum silent amicitia. Which Ooh. means in arms or during war, friendships are silenced. Ooh. I actually completely made that up. But I think that is exactly <laughs> applicable. <what we're laughs> I here. like that. Because I wanted to have something in terms of uh, you know, Cisco and Kira are friends until they can't be. Cisco has to be commanding officer, she has to follow the orders so that they can win the war. Yeah. Right? And she is the only person or the only tool at his disposal to be able to do that damar and Rassat are the same Rasat, like i don't want to work with her damar's like i don't care yeah what you yeah want. yeah yeah i care what's going to help us win this war well and for
2: that matter let's look at how that applies to Gauron and martok here's Gauron showing up with the blood wine the awards the ceremony all this stuff but as welcoming and friendly as he is to martok once martok realizes oh no 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 no, he's going down the wrong path i think we're gonna have to see mm-hmm. some major changes here where that friendship gets suspended because the guy in charge is making bad decisions that will get everybody killed yeah right right so
1: and that's interesting that there is kind of like a theme of politics as usual that's bubbling up from that mm-hmm. with galron because galron he just doesn't leave the seat of the high command just because,
2: yeah, you know, just
1: yeah. because I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to bestow this honor upon someone. He is a politician way more than he is a tactician. I mean, Martok's a tactician. He'll win so many battles there. But Galron wins the political battles. And in this case, he has to come to Deep Space Nine to give the soldier's soldier this great achievement and award so that he wins the hearts and minds of Martok's men. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that. If Martok or Worf ever challenges his decisions, then the men are on Gowron's side and no longer on Martok's. Yeah.
2: Well, I, so let me ask you this: let, Let's talk about Gowron a little bit and what's driving him. I mean, it, is it purely ego? Is there something else going on here? Because he, here's Gowron, who's been away—I mean, literally away from the show for two years—but in universe uh, for the character, here's somebody who has been presumably back on Kronos or wherever. Watching this happen, hearing uh, all the the glory and honor that Martok is uh, taking for himself, and not in a selfish way. Martok has been in the thick of battle, and you know, remember when Martok got his groove back? Then he mm-hmm. did become the right guy to be in charge again. But what a what a slap in the face! Here's Gowron showing it. here. Uh, I, I'm honoring you for such a great job, so that now I can demote you and step into your shoes. <laughs> That that is that is the least honorable thing that you can do, and and I'm beginning to think that the only Klingon with any honor left is Martok. Like I, it, you know, it, it is seemingly impossible to be the honorable Klingon who actually uh, ascends the ranks and become chancellor because you're just going to get stepped on by the other guys. Great, great scene of Martok swallowing his pride and mm-hmm. saying to Worf. That he will fight alongside Gawron because they owe it to the soldiers who have already given their lives. That's honor. That's the principle over politics. But that's also an earlier scene before they get told, yeah, we're just going to attack
1: and uh, it'll be great and it'll be victorious. Trust me. Bye. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of damage control going on yeah. in this episode, too, yeah. because that's what Martok and Worf, when they looked at each other, when Gowan says, it's time to attack, you know, I don't care if it's 20 to 1, Ooh. I don't care if it's 50 to 1, yeah. you know, the time for victory is now. Well, you know, no. Yeah. If, if, you know, if you're cool and level-headed and looking at the bigger picture, you know that this isn't the case. So what do Martok and Worf have at their disposal? Save as many lives as possible, because this is just all going to go so badly. Yeah. It's going to go so badly. And they have no power over Gowron. Yeah. So how are they going to change his mind? And, and, and you have to wonder.
2: Yeah, I mean, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and you have to wonder, like, how the Klingons even got this far. Because you can only do stuff like that. You can only say, like, well, it's glory to die in battle. And we just have to go fight every battle we possibly can until your numbers are so far, you know, defeated by somebody somewhere that that is no longer a good strategy. You know, mm-hmm. wars aren't good anyway, but at least if you recognize the uh, the gravity of the situation, you can at least try to take steps to minimize the number of unnecessary deaths. And that's maybe that's a bit of Starfleet rubbing off on Wharf and Maratok and seeing a little more clear-eyed what's actually happening and saying, no, 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 we have to be strategic. We just can't talk about glory and
1: throw ourselves into battle.
2: Yeah. All right.
1: It's almost kind of like... That's the excuse for like not winning is glory and dying. Yeah, right. Right? Right. Like, why not just win and save lives and not risk yourself? Because it's glorious to die, but that means you'll lose. Yeah. Precisely. <laughs> right? Precisely. That makes no sense. It's The bureaucracy also is super thick in this episode. Oh. Right? The bureaucracy of the government. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Lay, lay it on me. <laughs> so, aside from the Klingon politics going, um, you know, obviously not in the, in the way that Martok and Worf wanted to go, mm-hmm. Neither does talking to Starfleet medical with Dr. Bashir. This is actually I found this super interesting because there is like um a hierarchy and a level of bureaucracy that our heroes can't get through. You would think that mm-hmm. Bashir would call up and say, "I need these files." No. <laughs> what do you mean right, no? Right. Well, you need to have this clearance. You need to talk to my supervisor and okay, here's my supervisor. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, You know, and then even after that, there is a far higher no yeah. on top of all of this, which I have kind of a little bit of a problem with.
2: Yeah, this anyway. is his nose all the way down. But let's talk about what's going on there and, and why he's getting those nose. And this is. This is something that is a bit of concern. It brought a little bit of a flashback to uh, Mission Log in Days Past. So let's talk about this Odo situation, all right? Section 31, presumably, with the information we're given in this episode, created the virus to kill all changelings. Genocide. <laughs> Genocide. Okay. <laughs> now, walk with me, if you will, to uh, Mission Log when uh, we covered iBorg. Borg and the emails that the show got from listeners who couldn't believe that Picard wouldn't send Hugh back to the collective with a program that would kill them all. Okay. It's genocide by any other name. And, and now we have one that is being toyed with by section 31, uh, which do I need to remind anyone as part of the Federation Charter for 200 years, uh, a.k.a. the good guys who are us in the future, however many hundreds of years. You know, I I certainly hope this little scheme is exposed and Section 31 is dismantled forever and ever. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, even if, I mean, I agree with you on that, but even more so um, in the way that I saw it, what I just absolutely hate, I'll mm-hmm. see it. Okay. I hate say it, I hate the idea that Section 31 came up with this virus because it pretty much takes away what I thought was really cool about a weakness in the founders, a random mm. genetic mutation in nature mm. that even they, with their godlike powers and their ability to form this great link and their supposed invulnerability to almost everything out there except for this virus, happened randomly occurring in nature not even they could prevent it yeah yeah i agree i agree but now you have a man-made virus that is going to be the demise of an entire species because they were smart enough to put it in there to begin with i just think that just takes away from the entire agency of the founders being this godlike power out there in the universe I, i just really think that i I don't like it. I hate it. That's interesting. And I'm glad you framed it that way because I think that,
2: yeah, yeah, that that takes away something here. All right. I I want to wrap up the section by asking you, oh, this is such an easy little question here, (laughs) meaning none of us are going to be able to answer it. It's about Kira. Odo wasn't a collaborator. And then here's Rosat chiming in. Well, I suppose that depends on your definition of collaborator. Compared with Kira's impassioned words earlier about Cardassian collaborators with the Dominion and how anyone not fighting with them was fighting against them what should we make of this is there less room for nuance in Kira's life when the rule applies
1: to someone else I think that that's I would say human nature but she's not human but it's human <laughs> nature to have a blind spot in those cases And we've even seen episodes where, I mean, Odo himself, you know, he almost went into what, some type of like shock on his way back from a convention. Yeah. That because his guilt was so heavy about how he was a collaborator with the Cardassians for what, sentencing people to unjust punishments. Yeah. So, Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was. Guess it's up to people out there what their interpretation of collaborator is. <laughs> uh, I'd be interested to hear what people have to say about that one
2: because yeah, shes uh, she might be showing a bit of her hypocrisy here.
0: It's good to see that the Cardassians have all the essentials in their secret base: communications, munitions, futuristic furniture and so much groovy mood lighting.
2: Norman, when it rains, the acid eats away at statues. No, no. Uh, when, it, mm-hmm. when it rains, uh, we just uh, we fast forward to the end so we can tell everybody what we thought of the episode. That's what happens uh, when it rains. Okay. Yeah, when yeah. it
1: rains, it ends. When it yes. rains, it
2: ends. When, when it okay. rains, it's time to just cozy up inside with a fire and, uh, oh, I don't know, an episode of DS9 to talk about. Sounds good. Yeah, there we go. So uh, here we are at the end of the show where we're going to figure out if the episode holds up and if there are morals, meanings, messages to discuss therein. So, Norman, what did you think of the episode overall? Does it hold up or how should I say does it hold up for you?
1: Well, I think that um, once again, we have another really strong, narratively strong episode. Uh, It's a solid contribution to this overall final arc for deep space nine. And we only have four episodes, not counting this one, mm-hmm. left to the end. So I loved the the new production that we've seen in this episode, the Cardassian Liberation Front Cave and all of the different equipment pieces that are in there. I love the lighting of that episode. I thought that was very just really well done. Something new to see. Uh, watching Casey Biggs transform Damar, mm-hmm. even in this episode with just Very few lines, but so much gravitas in his performance and nuance. It's really a privilege to watch not just DeMar's transformation, but Casey Biggs really coming to the forefront and owning this character and turning him into something really, really memorable. Uh, Everyone's at the top of their game here. You know, you have great acting. You have great writing. Michael Dorn's directing in this was really on point. You have great production. As I mentioned before, you have great music. This is some of the best... Deep Space Nine I've watched to date. Mm-hmm. But I can't say this specifically just for this episode. I have to say it for this final arc. And it's it's not fair to not be able to judge a singular episode because there are so many threads that are coming into this episode and also so many threads that are leaving this episode <laughs> right. into the next episode. Right. So it's hard to judge this as a standalone because there is no technical beginning middle or end to encapsulate into does this episode hold up because it has to yeah in very many ways so that we can get to the next episode i can forgive that you know because you have a lot of great singular moments in this episode but I will take a few points away, though, because with as limited time as we have left, we did not see Wei Yoon And no Jeffrey Combs, oh, no points. Yeah, no points off for
2: a lack of Combs. Yeah, I agree mm. with you there. Yeah, How about you? I, I, I'm mostly on the same page with you. I feel like the it, it is a good episode, but this, even more so than like Strange Bedfellows, is a transition piece. Um, mm. But as you point out, there are very strong, dramatic moments. So you have moments like, um, well, Dakot losing his sight and <laughs> Kai Wen kicking him
1: out. Like th- these are wow moments in an episode. Oh, wait a second, John. Yeah. Let me have okay. there. So yeah, Dakot rolled a hard one on intelligence <laughs> yeah. and he also rolled a hard one on charisma. Oh. Because God. Kai Wen kicked him the hell out Ow. of there. Right. <laughs> You're so right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you had a good, necessary, dramatic moment with Kira being confronted with this. Like, she's trying to do the job, she's trying to be professional, but, oh, those personal things are coming back to bite her. You have good, dramatic moments with uh, Martok sort of being being swallowed up in the bureaucracy, and then trying to figure out, well, do I go along? Do I challenge it? What happens next? You know? So these are all good, solid moments, but they're solid moments that just feed the overall plot. So we have to look at it as a slice out of a hole. Um, it works on the strength of the actors. It works on the strength of the story overall. So a little hard to judge it on its own, but overall I, I'm really liking where we're going. And overall, I think the the biggest curiosity for me is just where do we end up with a guy like Damar? Where do we end up with the Cardassians as a whole? And that might bring us into, well, today's morals, meanings, messages. So I'll, I'll kick us off because this continues themes that we've already seen, that, that we've already talked about, and really are, we're just along for this ride to see where we end up. And I think what this episode does so well, uh, because this is partly tied into whether or not it holds up. What this does so well is what good drama does anyway, which is you're constantly flipping the power dynamic around between the characters. And and it's not just drama that does. I mean, good comedy does that as well. Good comedy, you're, you're constantly seeing, okay, what character has won up the other character? Where does the power balance shift? And the one who was lower status become higher status and one who is higher status become lower status. Mm -hmm. happens in comedy happens in drama that is what feeds the narrative and we see that here in really interesting and really satisfying ways kai wen gets the upper hand on dakot kira thinks she has power over the Cardassians. she is asked to train but quickly finds out that they will disrespect that power at any given opportunity gowron takes power from Martok. Now we're left with Martok and us as the audience along with him on his journey figuring out how do I reestablish my power? How do I get this back from him for the greater good? In all of these cases, it it's what's frustrating is it's not necessarily about who has the best idea or who is the most qualified. It's just about people reacting to situations from this emotional level and reasserting their claim to power in any way that they can just to have the upper hand, just to regain that upper hand. You know, mm-hmm. Kira, yeah. Kira has to do it by going into another room and destroying stuff, <laughs> you know, just to sort of reset. And then we get to find out next week, okay, does it work? Does she get to regain some sort of power intellectually, uh, hierarchically with these Cardassians. So this is the theme that I find so interesting to watch during all of this. And I'll throw out this again as far as Damar goes. So Damar is somebody who was powerless, who then reasserted and found power to take over himself and then be able to uh, uh, share that with the Cardassians who share the same vision that he does. The question will become, Who are they if they are successful? Who is Damar personally and who are the Cardassians as a whole if they are successful? Do they go back to the very bad behaviors that they had before? Or does this turn over a new leaf where they maybe through this experience with Kira, they realize that they can work uh, cohesively with people that they aren't just trying to conquer. So uh, a, a lot to be discovered there. But what we're watching now is this incredible Sort of vortex of power exchanging positions and changing hands, one after another, after another, after another. Um, what uh, what do you see in this, Norman?
1: Well, I mean, as the saying goes, I know that we've been you know making light of it, but you know when it rains, it pours, and when that mm-hmm. happens to people, one of two things usually is the result: it either people retreat because. Whatever happens uh, that that compounds the issues in their lives that make them retreat to such a point where they can't move forward, that's one way of reacting to it. Or they can face the challenge head-on, refocus as to why these things are happening in their lives and say, you know what, either I move forward or I don't. And in this case... I think that there is a lot of kind of like reshuffling of the deck chairs and challenging of 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 loyalties and friendships because I did kind of make a joke about, you know, uh, inter arma enim silent mm-hmm. friendship, mm-hmm. you know as I said mm-hmm. earlier because when the chips fall like when the rain pours like Cisco like Kira friendships are over we have a war to win yeah this the all of the all the creature comforts that have come from serving with each other and being this emissary and the emissary's, you know, uh, uh, supporter, all of this is gone, right? The same thing with Damar and Rasad. All of that is gone. The comfort that Martok may have uh, been able to garner with his men and victories and working alongside Ross and Cisco, gone, right, when Gowron comes into play. So what happens when all of that gets reset? You either retreat into uh, pitying yourself or you're trying to find a ways to 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 make the best uh, the 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 best possible strategy moving forward in order to succeed and to save lives in this case. Mm. So I like to. It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friends. Maybe it's a little too generic, but when you take a look at this whole full, full circle equation, especially with Kira, I mean, think about it. She's the same terrorist. <laughs> And the, and the skill set mm-hmm. that damar needs coming from the person who killed Zial, who she loved yeah but needs her now because again the enemy of my enemy is my friend
2: well that, so, that's why the question that becomes like what happens next like a- after you and the enemy of the enemy have defeated the common enemy who are you then
1: you know well, i think we're gonna probably maybe maybe get to that yeah i, I have a i have a I have a very strong belief that the writers are going to lead us to this moment. But I think that in the meantime, though, we're seeing the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, one of the Mm -hmm. greatest Star Trek mantras of all time. So if I could put it into context, so everyone on the allied side of the war, the Federation, the Klingon, the Romulans, the Bajorans, the Cardassians, they all have to put aside petty differences, like in Kira's case, maybe not so petty. Mm -hmm. But this is a common theme when it comes to fighting world wars right in this case yes it's a galactic war but you know deep space nine has been known to be the world war ii analog very much right so you have cultural political religious differences um within humanity or in this case within the allied forces of deep space nine that usually divide and separate cultures and nations but if you're given the proper cause to rally towards like defeating hitler or osama bin laden or in this case the founders These can bring entire nations and continents together because the differences between people, no matter how significant, are insignificant when compared to the evil that must be defeated to benefit all humanity, or in this case, the entirety of the Alpha Quadrant. Mm -hmm. So this is what I love seeing about Deep Space Nine right now. You have a true and unified alliance of a belief that good must triumph over evil, regardless of these petty and small and personal sacrifices that must be made to preserve this greater good. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if the world we live in right now would follow this very same example? Hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that is the promise of Star Trek, right? Yeah. When we see moral tales like this that are so appealing because it shows us what can happen. If we as the human race can put aside, put aside these, these base pettiness and meaningless divisions that distract us from a greater and nobler future, that has always been one of the greatest pillars of Star Trek mission log
2: is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry our website and your opportunity to comment and connect with us is missionlogpodcast.com. podcast.com if you'd like to support mission log directly you can do so at patreon.com mission log and for more star trek news and discussion be sure to visit trekmovie.com
1: on the next mission log tacking into the wind
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Adam Brusky, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, John Mann, Mike Richards, and Mike Shabel. I'm glad the chief has time to hang out and do detective work with Julian, instead of fixing ships, in the middle of a war. Guess he doesn't want to be employee of the month. And transmission. This is a Rottenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.